I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Heavy pencil. An actor of my experience, you just get wrong dry. A podcast sitcom with Anna Crilly and Tony Gardner. I played played Edmund Gelder and he played Fanny Snatch. The Observer called it a lovely thing. Wonderfully funny, pitched perfectly, produced with a light touch. I'm not having any more of this. I need you to pull me off immediately. Heavy pencil from Great Big Owl. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you like listening to? Um... <laughs> Chart music. <laughs> Chart music. Thursday night. It's about five to eight. It's December the 23rd, 1982. And this episode of Top of the Pops is, uh, well, it's not vintage, is it? There is some fucking dog shit on this episode. Bloody hell, man. Oh, come on, Neil, you're ruining (laughs) Christmas for that. I genuinely was thinking, is this a vindictive act, basically? No man, no. We got, we got, we got to cover everything. I think you found. I think. Do you think this might be the worst episode chart music's ever covered? I, I music wise. Oh no! Come on, man. We've done ones from the nineties. That's, ah, that's true. The nineteen eighty two is a horror. Yeah, but come on, chaps. We're not done yet. Surely this is where the quality kicks in. <laughs> <laughs> First hit of 1983. We left the chart at number 21. Let's go back and see who's at number 20. And still at number 20, it's Bucks Fizz. If you can't stand the heat. At 19, sing along as Santa from Santa Claus and the Christmas Tree. At 18, it's Buffalo Gals from Malcolm McLaren. At 17, let's get this straight from Dexie's Midnight Runners. At 16, it's him from Ultravox. Shalomar with Friends is number 15. At 14, Dionne Warwick and all the love in the world. At 13, Young Guns Go For It from Wham! The Human Leaguer at number 12 with Miraman. Up 10 places for Cliff Richard and Little Town. And every Christmas chart has at least one unusual surprise hit. And this year's surprise hit comes from a fellow you've probably seen on TV lots of times in the past. His name is Keith Harris, and here he is with Orville's Song. You guys are probably, yeah, probably got more on this than because you're more contemporary with Keith Harris and Orville. So Fuck off. This will, this will hurt you more. 
<laughs> Kid, with a freshly mixed bag of normal people and zoo wankers, predicts that ABBA's last hit of 1982 will be their first hit of 1983, while a girl in the audience waves a sheet of paper with 9-11 on it. What the fuck was that about? <laughs> the future. And she travelled back in time to, to, to give a warning, <laughs> a warning to people. Yeah. Fucking bad time and place to do it, yeah. if so. I know. I don't think the CIA was monitoring Top of the Pops in 1982. <laughs> Worst episode of Quantum Leap ever. <laughs> it actually says 9-11 turbocharged funk. Oh, uh, a reference to Porsches. Yeah, you see, this mm. is the danger of live performances. Mm. Mm. People promoting their shit. <laughs> yeah. He then throws us into the middle section of the charts and then warns us that the obligatory novelty single is imminent. Well, the first one in any case. <laughs> it's Orville's song by Keith Harrison Orville. Born in Lyndhurst, Hampshire in 1947, Keith Harris was the son of a ventriloquist who learned at his father's feet, forming a double act with him as a child. At the age of 14, he launched a solo career, went round the variety cabaret and panto circuits, and went through a string of homemade puppets as he started to become a TV regular in the early 70s. Round about this time, while he was working with the black and white minstrels in a theatre in Bristol, he chanced upon some green fur in the dressing room and used it to create Orville, an emo duckling named after a Wright brother, which became his favourite thing to shove his hand up as he rose to the top. By 1982, Harris is firmly established as a regular on the BBC, and while appearing at a summer season in Scarborough that year, he was signed to the BBC for his own television show with a deal on the side with BBC Records. So, he approached a fellow cast member, none other than Bobby Crush, a six-time winner of Opportunity Knocks and the recipient of the Variety Club's Best New Artist of 1972 award, which was presented to him by Lord Mountbatten in front of a beaming Huey Green (laughs) and asked him to knock out a song for Orville. This is that song, and it's also the lead cut from the LP At the End of the Rainbow, which also features covers of The Ugly Duckling, I Can Sing a Rainbow, Where Is Love, and You've Got a Friend, (laughs) and Party Fairs (laughs) 2. Seen as Harris is launching his TV show on New Year's Eve, he's been all over BBC One this month to promote the single. It entered the chart last week at number 55, and this week it soared 22 places to number 33. And here they are, surrounded by nice little kids, for some more heartwarming cross-platform brand synergisation. <laughs> oh, dear me. esophagus warming. Oh. Neil, you're near the target group for this at the time, aren't you? You must have been massively excited at the sight of, a, of an artist like Keith Harris crossing over. Well, oh, I mean, I suspect as a kid... I might have sympathised with Orville, but Cuddles changed everything and made it okay to hate yes. him. Yes, I hate that dog. <laughs> I do like the way that Kid Jensen, because of his uh, Canadian accent, the way he says Orville is kind of like Orville, and it almost sounds like horrible. he's saying horrible song. <laughs> yeah. um, yes. Quite right. See, I mean, Bobby Crush needs shooting for writing this. <laughs> he admitted it himself, didn't he, Bobby Crush? A bit sort of past the sick bucket is how he described mm. this song. Yes. Um, um, and Cuddles at least made me laugh. But I've got to be honest, even at the age of 10, this 
uh, self-pity as fuck always piss me off. Um, <laughs> with, I mean, with regards to ventriloquism, local pride means that I was very much more a, a nookie bear kid. Mm. Um, right. And it was a very big age for ventriloquists, you know, Lord Charles, Spit the Dog, etc. Um, yes. But there were so many gags about this, and Cuddles made it okay to hate him. I mean, I remember Kenny Everett doing a little routine about this, where, he, you know, mm. I think Orville sings, I wish I could fly, and Kenny Everett boots him up the arse. And mm. um, as did um, Three of a Kind, I, I seem to recall as well. But right. he was omnipresent. Orville. Um, yes. On Crackerjack for what felt like a fucking decade. And it's odd that the Keith Harris show runs until 1990. I mean, that's crazy. Yes. And he's really no better than John Thompson's cheeky monkey on, <laughs> <laughs> on, on No Me Knowing You. I, I, I did find, by the way, uh, the, the sacrifices we make for the pop craze youngsters. Um, <laughs> I did, you know, curiously following up research on this, I did, I did realise that there's a German version of this done by a yes. different puppet duo. Um, Klebe. Klebe. And, yeah, and Caroline the Cow. Yes, uh, Germany's own ventriloquist duo. I did find hundreds of their songs on Spotify. Did I trawl through all of them to find the German version of this and check translations? I'm sorry, pop crazy youngsters, I didn't. Because, you know, a- another squeaky voice puppet that was just annoying. And and even as a kid, yes, I was the tar- target demographic. But he's ultimately, yeah, this is ultimately an emo duet, as you've indicated. And, it, and mm. it, Orville is such a monstrously self-regarding, self-piteous cunt. That, <laughs> you know, even when Harris... He ass- isn't. Well, even when Keith Harris assures... The, the viridescent fat fuck that he loves him. He needs to establish, you know, how much oh, he loves yeah. him. For fuck's sake, grow up, you incontinent Chartres shithead. I, I never <laughs> got on with Keith Harris, even as a kid. And like you say, you know, target demographic. Because he wasn't funny. He was just pathetic. I was just going to say, I mean, mm. you know, is it just a sort of seasonal descent into mawkishness? Or is this, is, it, is, is he always blabbing on like this no because when he was introduced he he was keith harris was still doing things like the good old days Mm. and the black and white minstrel Mm. show and you know all that kind of stuff you know family entertainment but you know with adults in mind Mm. uh, rather like pixar (laughs) but orville is the duck that laid the golden egg if you will because of him he's keith harris is now walking on to crackerjack and rolf on saturday okay whenever he feels like it Mm. And, you know, he's he's now a children's entertainer and in the mind of the BBC he's gonna he's gonna propel them right through the eighties mm. mm. with his hand up thing. <laughs> <laughs> and Orville was just you know, he, he was he was the orphan and all that kind of mm. stuff. But there was there was an element of piss taking yeah. on the part of the dog. Uh, yeah. But by this point, now that Keith Harris has been kicked up to the uh, to the Crackerjack League it's gone properly mawkish. It might be something about green puppets. I mean, I also hate robbing the yeah. frogs halfway up the stairs, you know. Oh, God, Neil, you animal. <laughs> well, I mean, I do look, don't get me wrong. There's two examples of ventriloquism that I do get along with. One would be Eric Morecambe's giant puppet, Oggy. <laughs> and um, the other one would be, you know, any murderous puppet from a horror oh, yeah. movie, like Hugo from Dead <laughs> yes. of Night. You know, yeah, I the like Dead of Night one, yeah. Things. yeah. But I think it needs mentioning. There's lots of repulsive things about this performance beyond the song. Mm. Harris's suit is the colour of feces and just as repellent. Yeah, the leather jacket, shirt and tie combination. This is it. Coupled with the... It's real Top Shot Man 82, definitely, is that. Yeah. You know, I've got to admit, by this point in this episode of Top of the Pops, 
I'd be looking at the watch, I'd be thinking, or the clock rather, and I'd be thinking, you know, fuck me, I'd be able to tell by now, this is near the end mm. of this episode. Yeah, and, and you know what the mm. number one's going to be. This is it, and I'd be hopping mad. Yeah. I would just be thinking, yeah. thank God it's Christmas Eve tomorrow. Mm. Um, yes. You know? Uh, it, it, it's just not getting any better this episode, is it? Yeah, you know, I think the balance is unjust. It's like one of those episodes of Question Time where they've got like four Tories and a kind of a maverick journalist who's another Tory or whatever, you know, and a soft new labour. It feels like that, really. David, yeah. if chart music has taught us anything in 2020, and it has, the main thing is that we now know that songs about ducklings in distress start you roaring. So I, I have to ask, <laughs> you, you okay, hon? <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, this is it, you know. I mean, I perhaps, you know, you, you despise the duck, you know. I perhaps was, you know, my easily, um, perhaps easily touched heartstrings were you know, plucked in places, uh, but no, I held it together, mm. you know. Yeah, well done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Keith Harris has got his Brexit poem, yes. as Simon calls it, <laughs> and the brown leather jacket and matching trousers uh. with the white shirt and the red tie. And uh, he's thankfully they've got some actual kids for him mm. to work with mm. instead of yeah. zoo wankers. But the zoo wankers are still there, aren't they? You can't keep them out of it. <laughs> and they're kind of like swaying from side they to are, side, yeah. right behind us, behind him, and in front mm. of him. Mm. <laughs> and it's like the zoo wankers are just standing over the kids and trying to muscle in on them, and it's just it's just wrong. It I is just, wrong. I'm just saying, I'm just glad that, it, that there wasn't Twitter in 1982 because somebody would have got 3.6k likes for talking about the little black kid and having political correctness shoved down their throat. Yes. Yes, yes, Oh, yes. yeah, right mm. next. Right next mm. to him as mm. well, yes. The kids do well, to be fair. They look mm. entranced. I mean, you're going to be yeah. excited sat next to a puppet. Yeah, I mean, they're basically quite often staring at Harris's mouth and, you know, twigging yes. it all. Um, yeah. You know, because this is a live performance, isn't oh, it? Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> actual live performance. It isn't. It? Oh yeah, he's, he's got a Laguerre in it completely. Um, yeah. The only pleasant thing this gave me was that that year, you know, I got a, um, you know, rhubarb and custard. That uh, yes, yeah, I got a rhubarb. Uh, I don't know why I got a pajama. You know, pajama cases, which I don't think yes. exist anymore. I got a rhubarb pajama case, which was the same Whoa. green colour. As this, um, as this Orville the Duck. So it gave me that pleasant memory. But other than yeah. that, no, God almighty. It's, it's interesting. I, won- I wonder who bought it. I wonder if it was bought for kids. Yes. I don't mm. think, the, you know, the kids would have actually wanted it. You know, was it bought by, <laughs> you know, grandma? No, no, Orville's a television star. Yeah. Of course, some kids are going to want it, but very, very young Extremely kids. Extremely young. Yeah, very I, I think kids. it was probably bought by grandmas for grandchildren, but really for them themselves yes. to listen to, basically. Together. So. Pinching their little cheeks as they kind of, you know, sit along with it. You'd automatically assume that parents are buy it for their young kids, but... This is 82, but parents didn't do that shit. They didn't pander to the kids like that. <laughs> you know, it's like, I've, I've put fish fingers in your mouth. What more do you fucking want from there? Beyond that, if your parents buy you this record, I think they're saying something about you. Yeah, grow the fuck up. Yeah, exactly. So I'd, I'd take it as a hostile gesture if I'd have received this. Um, yeah, but yeah. it's very much for little kids. I mean, at the age of 10, there was a cut-off point. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, mm. this isn't for me. Yeah. I'm better than this. I'm 10. I'm in double figures oh, yeah. now. This is baby as shit, even though it might have tugged at my heartstrings a little bit here and there. But oh, you're absolutely right in that 
Orville wasn't completely maudlin and mawkish on the actual shows. He had no. a way of occasionally puncturing Keith Harris's sort of self-regard in a sense. Yes. So that was part of his shtick. But on wax, yeah, he was he, he was always sappy as shit like this. Obviously, he's on BBC Records, so, you know, the, the BBC looks after its own. So he gets straight on to Top of the Pops. But fucking hell, they left it a bit late in the year to release this, didn't they? Mm. If it's only just got into the charts in the mid-30s on the last week before Christmas, someone at the BBC's fucked mm. up there. Yeah, released earlier. It could have got to number one. What a different world it would be. Yes, yes. <laughs> so two weeks later, Orville's song soared 25 places to number eight. And a week later, it got to number four, its highest position. As Nils pointed out, it also became a hit in West Germany when Kleber, the fatherland's top ventriloquist, rewrote the lyrics, teamed up with Caroline the Cow with a K, and put out the sex education song Vocommon de Babies here in 1980. <laughs> I bet you love that, David. <laughs> oh, yes. If you make someone a bit German, David oh, thinks it's great. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> My, my favourite German appropriation, actually, was um, 1996, Three Lions. Yes. Um, after Germany beat uh, England in the semi-finals. And then Three Lions was a hit in Germany. It got to about number 14. <laughs> I just thought, talk about carrying away the spoils. That's fantastic. <laughs> the follow-up, the disturbingly titled Will You Still Love Me in the Morning, oh. failed to chart. And after their cover of White Christmas got to number 40 in the first week of 1986, Harris and Orville parted company with BBC <laughs> Records. However, in 1991, they teamed up with George Peckham, better known as the lacquer cutter and master engineer Porker, for a white label rave version of Orville's song called I Wish I Could Fly, which went... <laughs> Headline in the Dublin Evening Herald, dateline October the 2nd, 1992, Orville the Ecstasy Duck. (laughs) Television ventriloquist Keith Harris has denied that a new record by his puppet character Orville the Duck is being used to promote the rave drug ecstasy. The 45-year-old entertainer is starring at rave parties with Orville to promote an Acid House remix of the 10-year-old hit, I Wish I Could Fly. In the new version, Orville chants, I wish I could fly, I wish I could fly, and repeats the letter E, slang for ecstasy. Harris! who is currently appearing in Blackpool, said, I know some people are going to say it's all to do with ecstasy, but honestly, it's not. All the kids at the (laughs) raves love it. I'm not promoting the use of drugs. I just go out there and waggle my duck. (laughs) The record was taken off British radio playlists and Harrison Orville were banned from making an appearance in Stoke-on-Trent. Good Lord. But the song was cleaned up and put out again in 2002, where it got to number 83 in April of that year. Alas, <laughs> Keith Harris died in 2015, and soon after his agent confirmed that Orville was retiring and would never appear in public again. Because yeah. round about that time, when that um, uh, remix came out, he was, doing the, he was doing the student union circuit yeah. in a show called Duck Off. Mm. A very common trajectory, wasn't it, for, for yeah. much of the 80s? Yeah. 
kids TV. Oh man, I, I wouldn't have liked that. Mm. When I was at university, and if Hartley Air came out and started talking about shagging and drugs, <laughs> uh, that wouldn't that wouldn't have sat right with me. You've kind of intrigued me though, Al. Not to hear that rave tune, but. The follow-up single, Will You Still Love Me I in know. the Morning? I mean, yes. is that sung between Keith Harris and Orville? Yes. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Fuck a duck. It's not as sinister as I put it. You know, he's, <laughs> he's, 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 he's talking to me that night. Right, right, right. Got and it. reading him a story. Mm. And Orville being the fucking needy cunt yeah, that yeah. he always was. <laughs> Basically wants to know, you're going to give me some crisps in the morning and yeah. wipe my arse mm. and... All that he's shit. A, he's a whiny little fuck, isn't he? He is. that validation all the time. Yeah. Your broken heart. Thank you. Because uh, I've got a broken heart, I? I know, but you know I'm going to help you mend it. You, you will, won't you? Of course I will. Because you love me, don't you? Well, we all love you. We all love him, don't we? Yes. Thank you. There you are. How much? Yes. Oh, this much. As much as that? As much as that. My broken heart. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Justin. And I'm Lucy. And together we are the hosts of Plenty Questions. It's a very straightforward general knowledge quiz. We ask you 20 questions, one after the other, five second gap in between, and you shout the answers out. And then you tweet us to let us know how you've got on. See if you can get 20 out of 20. No one has so far, but that's because we haven't started doing it yet. Mm, But we will. Uh, And there's also going to be some fiendish brain teasers, so join us for Plenty Plenty Questions. Just outside the top 30, Keith Harris and the BBC's version of E.T. That was Orville and Orville's song. Right, let's see if we can make it right to the very top of our Christmas chart. Here's the hit leg. The Jam are at number 10 with Beat Surrender. At 9, it's Lionel Richie and Truly. At number 8, the best years of our lives from Modern Romance. A big leap from David Essex up to number 7 with A Winter's Tale. At 6, You Can't Hurry Love, Phil Collins. Still at number five, Madness and Our House. At four, Time, Clock of the Heart from Culture Club. David Bowie with Bing Crosby at number three with The Little Drummer Boy. At number two, The Shaky EP with Shaken Stevens. And this year's Christmas number one is from Rene and Renato. And here they are with Save Your Life. Save your love, my darling. 
Whilst being seemingly frottered by the purple zoo wanker, manages to run down the top ten. That was awful, wasn't it? It's grotesque. Singularly grotesque. The zoo wankers, they're told to be excited all the time. And it's like, we've, we've seen what's just been, we know what's coming next. The excitement's not the fucking thing you need to convey, <laughs> oh, yeah. mate. Yeah, yeah. By then, I would have I really hated that guy. Mm. And I would have been saying things like, I think he smells. Yeah. <laughs> Kid finally manages to run down the top ten, settling upon the number one single of the week. <sighs> Save Your Love by Rene and Renato. <laughs> Fucking hell. Born in Biera, Italy in 1940, Renato Pagliari was the former member of the local church choir who went on to enrol in a school for professional waiters and then started a career in various high-end international restaurants. By the early 70s, he had settled in Sutton Coldfield, dividing his time between wielding one of their massive parmesan mills and bringing opera to the wheel tappers and shunters circuit. And in 1975, he finished second place in that year's M&B and Birmingham Male Talent Contest, (laughs) a tournament held in West Midlands pubs, which was judged by Don McLean, not that one, the other one. Yeah. Ray Graydon of Aston Villa and <laughs> Bill Maynard. <laughs> A year later, he appeared on the ATV talent show New Faces, where he was told by one of the panel that a tenor like Renato could never be a star. The judge who spat in his face, Noel Edmonds. Mm. Bastard. Although he didn't win, the TV appearance spurred him on to ramp up his pursuit of a musical career, and he eventually turned professional in 1978, falling into the orbit of Johnny Edward, the former guitarist of David Bowie's band The Manish Boys, but more importantly, the creator and the voice of Metal Mickey. Mm. <laughs> And in 1982, the owner of the independent label Hollywood Records. For the label's second release, he pulled out a song he'd written in the mid-70s, which, in his own words, was written as a joke to give the fingers to save all your kisses for me on all those other songs that made me want to chew the carpet. And he offered it to Pagliare, who was currently doing a summer season at Great Yarmouth with the double act Barry Cheese and Mike Onion. (laughs) Obviously, they needed a lady for Renato to pitch woo at, so Pagliari suggested someone he had worked with during a summer season in Margate the year before, Hilary Lester, a 22-year-old session singer who was working in another group at the time who was given a suitable onomatopoeic name. This is their debut single, which came out on the 1st of October and was immediately picked up and played to death by the kingmaker of Christmas number ones, Terry Wogan, which got it into the charts at number 54 at the end of the month. Two weeks later, it entered the top 40 at number 38, then soared 14 places to 24, which necessitated the putting together of a video for Top of the Pops, which helped it soar once again to number 9. And last week, it knocked Beat Surrender by the Jam off the summit of Popo Montagna, (laughs) making it the first ever independent single to get to number 1. Ooh. 
This is its second week at the top, the Christmas number one of 1982, and here is that video again. Fucking hell, the the tangled web of pop. Mm. Mm, Indeed. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> the first ever independent number one. Who knew? Yeah, well, yeah. did Ian Curtis die for this? You don't hear this played at your fucking indie discos, do you? Next to fucking Step On and Love Will Tear Us Apart. Where do we even begin with this faggot bruschetta of a record? Well, I, I think we have to start with the video, don't we, really? Oh, God, yes. You know, it's... I mean, it, the, the, it's one of the greatest artefacts of the age. Yes, <laughs> it really is. is. An attempt at kind of lush, swoonsome, operatic romance, but that it just comes mm. across like a slightly melancholy weekend. Uh, a nice big country pub in the Sandwell and Dudley area. Um, <laughs> this is what the West Midlands thinks is opulent quite. in 1982. He can't... He, he, that's the odd thing. He's got this Italian background, but he, he cannot hide his brumminess. Um, Whether it's his revolting assortment of faintly too tight knitwear, um, Mm. you know, the way he pours at the pillow after she's gone, the way they're both a kind of blubbery, snotty mess at the airfield, which I swear down looks like Cov Airport. Um, (laughs) No matter how hard they try to lush it up, in a sense, it all looks very... Very Stetchford, very Lee Hall, very Selly Oak, very Cradley Heath. Yes. And he just comes across, rather than sort of some sort of operatic um, Caruso-style dreamboat, he, he, he's just a randy waiter at a Smethic yes, Trattoria, is. isn't he, really? He is. Mm. He is. Yes. You could see him in Crossroads, couldn't you? Oh, without mm. a doubt. As the happy-go-lucky waiter who's in a blood feud with Shuey McPhee. <laughs> We have yes, to go definitely. through the video scene by scene because it is fucking remarkable. I mean, <laughs> the overall effect is a is like a romantic ISIS hostage video, isn't it? <laughs> so we start with Renato in a blue V-neck jumper and a white shirt, which makes mm. him look like he's wearing the 1978 Scotland World Cup shirt and, mm-hmm. and, and grey slacks to go with, with his foot up on a ridiculously ornate fountain. <laughs> then we see Rene... And Renato, who's now changed into a powder blue V-neck jumper, mm. like dossing about in the Arboretum. And Renee, she she just looks like she's been kidnapped and buckling under the weight of Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> you know, he's bellowing at her romantically and mm. she just stares blankly at him then looks off in the distance and then slumps her head onto his shoulders as if she's just given up. Mm. wants it over with as soon as possible. I mean, I think mm. it really does need pointing out here, Al, that, yeah, it's not Renee, is it? It, it is not Renee. It is not Because the actual Renee, Hillary, refused to do the video. <laughs> it's been put about that she didn't want to be famous and she was overcome with the success of the single. And right. She, she was extremely shy. But another factor is she's in another band at the time and trying to get out of it. So, she's, yeah, it's got contractual obligations is denying her a place in this video. So they've just got this woman and put a, a really stupidly long blonde wig on her. Mm, yeah. Mm. It's odd that that use, because it's very much like Alan's wife in the boating video. Yes, it's exactly what it is. <laughs> I mean, they you must expect some farmers to throw a cow on Renato from the balcony at some yeah. point, don't you? To be honest with you, though, yeah. They could have used a mannequin. But but it's not the original video, though, is it? I mean, it is the original yeah. video, but there's this really strange moment that I'm sure you noticed. Yeah. Uh, we, are, we, are we not at that point yet, Al, in your description of the video? Because, you know, the, the famous scene when, uh, you know, he's singing this serenade. 
The balcony scene. The balcony scene. And yeah. she's, the iconic she, balcony the scene. The iconic mm. balcony scene. But soft, what light through yonder window breaks. <laughs> yeah, it does look <laughs> like it. It is that woman pretending to be Renee. Mm. Yeah, Who doesn't the... mime the song? No, she doesn't. No. There's there's a lot of skillful turning her face away yeah. from the camera when it's her bit. Yeah, yeah. But there's other times when she's just there and her mouth ain't moving. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, what, what's the point of that? <laughs> it's breaking the romantic spell that they've spent so long skillfully crafting, I feel. Well, this is it. And another thing that breaks the romantic spell somewhat, at least on this version of the video. Yes, yeah, she's upstairs in this window. Yes. Of presumably this M&B pub, actually, where yes. Blue Eleven is getting served <laughs> downstairs. And, you know, the famous bit where it throws the... Yes. Um, Rose up to her. The reddest rose that oh, he's yes. been longing to bring her, let's remember. Now, it's a poignant moment in the original video. It is. You know. But mm. here, for some reason, that's this. Yeah, this happens. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is that about? Who's done yeah. that? Yeah. It's a bizarre moment, that. I mean, I like that moment because it... it it, I think it's a backroom. It's a top of the pots backroom boys. Oh, thing, absolutely! Yeah, it's a little prank, definitely. It, I think, yeah. think it's like fantastic. It's, a, the editing suite. Yeah, yeah. It's up there with the double taking pigeon in Moonraker. It's that good. <laughs> um, I suspect added by one of the backroom boys. Yeah, in a drunken Christmas moment. It's yeah. probably been a while since he's sabotage. Made, I call yeah. it. It's mm. been a while since he might have made. I don't know the, those brilliant. You remember those snooker montages at the end yes. of every tournament? Yeah, they're, they're probably you know just running a bit dry after doing one of those. And they've mm. it. it makes an already amazing video better. Yes, I think many asses have been photocopied that drunken afternoon <laughs> and decided yes. to uh, <laughs> yeah, go up to the going at the suite and then uh, had a bit of long whistle. Yeah, <laughs> when he's all togged out. In his evening wear, mm. um, he, doesn't he look like Big Bill Werben? He does look. Mm. Like <laughs> 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 his fucking beta blockers. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> mm. But you know, I don't know. The thing is with the, this original woman, not original woman in the video. Mm. I don't know. I mean, the original woman on the record, um, you know, she's not American, is she? No. So it, it it struck me listening to this as well that you know her faint. Dollyisms on the record because yes. she's putting in a right American accent on it. That's yes. sort of. I'm not saying this record is racist, but the way he <laughs> rolls his R's. I know he was a singing waiter back in Italy, yeah. And what what an R's well, he quite. has. Um, <laughs> but because he has his jumper pulled down over his fat ass, doesn't it? <laughs> to try and hide it. <laughs> it's that look that Tony Green wore on Bullseye right through to the early nineties. <laughs> so yeah you know it, it caught on amongst men of that age and bulk yeah but i find a lot he's italian so he can't exactly accuse him of being racist but i actually find his his accent on this song parodic of italian accents i mean i'm sure he's aiming for some yeah. kind of pavarotti slash i mean it's sort of, mm. don't forget Julia iglesias had a big hit 81 didn't he late 81 begin le begin so you know yes. that kind of european touch but or at the very least he's aiming for that just one cornetto kind of gentle ribbing of things. But he's taken it beyond that mm. here. This is like mind your language type shit, the way he sings this song. It's Giovanni <laughs> Capello for mind your language. It's exaggerated for yes. a very specific audience. It's no accident that this record, sort of its biggest markets in a way, it's a hit in quite a few places, but it gets yeah. the biggest hit, I'd say, what, here, the Netherlands and yeah. um, Scandinavia. Um, you yeah. know, cold countries where we have yeah. a dim understanding of Mediterranean culture. Mm. So in a sense, mm. this provides, 
the, the, you know, our level of understanding of Mediterranean culture at this point is pretty much, you know, uh, at the level of the Dolmio puppets, basically. So yes. this is going to be <laughs> yes. convincing for people. And, and Figaro by the Brotherhood <laughs> well, yeah. of Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I and mean, we've, you know, we've not long checked out of L's Bells in uh, Carry On Abroad. Well, quite, yeah. When it comes to <laughs> European relations. I imagine, like, you know, Alison Stedman's, uh, you know, in Abigail's party, you know, she'd have been... Well into this, you know, I do like a bit of <laughs> yes. continental eroticism, my age, you know, and uh, yeah, you know, sobbing into a chilled Beaujolais. Isn't it pity so fat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does make you think who bought this. Yeah, what people bought this. It should fucking non or again, isn't it? Ruining everything. Mm. This is it. She's bought Orville for the kids, and now she's she's going to treat herself mm. with a nice big spicy meatball. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm convinced that no one bought this because they thought it was trash or corny. Or shit. No. The people who bought this are really... I mean, it's that, it's that great mass of people that we keep coming back to on, on chart music. Who Those mass of people who aren't exactly music fans, but they'll kind of periodically raise their head like cattle to any tune that, ha- that ticks certain sort of nursery rhyme simplicities. And as a tune, yeah. it does all the things you want it to do if you're a person who doesn't really want music to be good. You just want it mm. to be done, you know? Yeah. Um, so it has that yeah. faint tranquilizing effect i think couples probably bought it as well i can picture couples for whom buying this record would have been a genuinely romantic thing to do if you bought this single and you you are actually single i mean what the fuck imagine if your mum and dad had this (laughs) in the house though (laughs) fucking hell Mm. oh yeah oh they're listening to rene renaultic and they're gonna have sex oh yeah yeah, (laughs) yeah, just every time it gets turned up a bit loud you know what that means yes oh Oh, yes (laughs) deary me Anyway, let's let's rejoin the star-crossed lovers on the balcony. Yeah. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. Because you know, because the, the money shot's coming up, isn't it? <laughs> that scene where they're they're lying in bed. Mm. Well, they, no, they have a bit of a dance first, don't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it fades into the two of them that, that lying in bed. Mm. So they've obviously they've obviously Absolutely. had it off. Yeah, yeah. And they're kind of like lying on the front, facing each other. <laughs> yeah. As if they've been shot by the mafia. (laughs) Or he's doing a Justin Lee Collins where she has to face him at all times. (laughs) And then she disappears and he he strokes that pillar. Poignant, isn't it? Very poignant. And then obviously Henry Kissinger's got involved because uh, (laughs) we see Renato in an outstanding ecru jumper with cream piping, Mm. putting her on a private plane, possibly at Coventry Airport. Mm, I think so. She's crying now, and he waves her yeah. off, and then, and then it ends. It looks like a hostage exchange of some sort, doesn't it? But it's all gone wrong, like you say, <laughs> Stockholm syndrome. She doesn't want to go back to. And yeah. he's probably going back to the radiators to see how Terry Waits getting on. This <laughs> <laughs> got to number one. I know. <laughs> you know, we've just wanged on about Abba going into decline and saying, "Ah, this is it." You know. The 70s are finally dead. The 80s are finally beginning. Here's the 70s reaching a dead hand from the fucking grave, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. This is the last hurrah for the new faces, Opportunity (laughs) knocks. Derek Hobson, Huey Green contingent. Yeah, I I certainly read that in the writing of this, which I think was written a few years before its recording, Mm. it it was definitely Mm. an attempt, in a sense, to not take the piss, but um, kind of... Um, and not even parody, but kind of be an answer in a sense to the Brotherhood of Mans and all of yes. these people that were appearing at the time. So it does, yeah, absolutely feel like a relic, which which I, I suspect is probably part of its appeal. In, in the dangerously sexy and exciting world of early 80s um, pop, 
this is a, a return to something, isn't it? It's a, it's a return to something dependably shit. Yes. But everyone was already taking the piss out of it. That's the thing. Oh, yeah, immediately. Spoofs immediately. And, and, and everything. Immediately. I mean, I think some of the appeal, by the way, we keep talking about his appearance, but I think his, his size might have been part of the appeal of this record to some people. A pop star who looked like a totally uncool person, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously mates with Ron Atkinson eventually. He's got that local legend yes. look about him. Yeah, he, he, he sang Ness and Dorma in the changing room at half time of the Villa game, Aston yeah. Villa game yeah. when they were getting battered and Ron Atkinson said you go out and show that much passion <laughs> on, the, on the pitch it's just mad if you fucking lose the next game Ronaldo's coming back and singing his lesser known songs at you it's nuts everything you've read out Al I mean the whole Metal Mickey thing you know yeah, Metal Mickey um, that's you know, insane and actually the weird thing is the cod reggae vibes of silicone chip is better than this record yes <laughs> That's what's fucking crazy. Yeah, I've forgotten about that. Oh, yeah, and the dub version on the B-side. It's a crazy record, that. (laughs) The thing is, people would have bought this genuinely thinking, a lot of people would have thought that it actually sort of represents a touch of class and it's a cut above Mm. all that ephemeral sort of synthy dross-like soft sell. (laughs) This is a song that not the jam's last single off number one. And influenced Paul Weller. You know, he probably looked at this and went, oh, European. Mm. Okay, yeah, that's where I'm going next. Could be. I mean, to be fair, right, I don't resent the success of this record at all. I don't resent... It's a great story. It is. A waiter from Sutton Coldfield becomes number one. That's a heartwarming Christmas story right there, isn't it? We can accept that, but we can also point out the crucial thing. This record is entirely without merit. Yeah. It's a horrible It's thing. horrible, man. And this this is the beginning. I mean, opera becomes mm, a, mm. a thing in popular british culture in the 80s and i fucking hate (laughs) opera imagine though being able to sing and then choosing Mm. to sing Mm. like that it's just europeans bellowing at you (laughs) oh Mm. an italian man shouting Mm. at me oh that's class eh oh i'm just gonna sit here and cry while i'm listening to it yeah it's gruesome stuff there's only one other thing i'd like to say about this al by the way Mm. the drummer the drummer on this record is Clem Catini from the Tornadoes. Of course it is, yes. You know, so you just need to point out, this is this is another one of the supposed... I, I'm dubious about the whole Clem Catini thing that he played on more number ones than anyone else. You know, 42, I think people say. Yeah. Because I'm not entirely sure he played on all those T-Rex records that it's allegedly played on. But, right. you know, it's nuts, isn't it? It is crazy that yeah. he's got another number one hit single here. He was a Womble, wasn't he? I think, yeah, he was on the Womble. He was on loads of... I mean, he's not absolutely loads for Tony Christie. Michael Mickey and a Womble get together. This is what happens. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Not the last time he'll get to number one, actually, because when the waiter Amarillo gets reissued and gets to number one, he's, he does it again. It yeah. is remarkable the list of records that Clem Catini played on, but this mm. is by you know one of the worst, I think. I mean, I'm happy that someone like Renato's been picked up and thrown into the spotlight, but I wasn't impressed mm. by what he was saying in the interviews at the time. He was he was constantly moaning while his record was being played that romantic records like his weren't being played on the radio, and it and it was all in his own words: banger, banger music and heavy rock. <laughs> <laughs> if only it was. And then he started insisting that there should be a chart for mm. ballads and romantic songs for for the middle aged and old people. <laughs> So basically saying that the BBC should be doing something yeah. for the oldens. 
Mm. Put it in tonight. Mm. We've agreed that this video is astonishing, but mm. it could have been so much better. I mean, let's remember <laughs> that this is the year that Donkey Kong came out across the arcades <laughs> of the country. And we could have had Rene and Renato as Princess Peach and Mario. <laughs> and someone throwing barrels at him and he jumping over them. I can imagine yeah, how man. incredible that would have been. Yeah, and then he goes off in a cart and... Yeah, getting a green shell at the arse. It, yeah. it, that idea is now out there, Al. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, the, you don't have to wait long for some fucker on the internet to make that a reality. Oh, come on, pop crazy youngsters. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else to say about this? Well, I mean, once again, uh, Elvis, I've been a little bit subdued for this. But again, with the thought that he's what? He, how old is he here? Forty-two. Bernardo. He's forty-two. Yes. So the age that I am, you know, fifty. I could again, technically, biologically, be his father. <laughs> yeah. You know, I got to thinking, you know, nineteen eighty-two. Me as a fifty-eight-year-old then with mm. my fucking 42-year-old son. <laughs> and I was just thinking of, like, you know, what the letter of congratulation I might have, like, written to him. You know? Oh, and, fucking um, hell. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's something like, you know... <laughs> congratulations, son. Number one, eh? Now, I'm not going to pretend I always believed you could do it, because as far as I can make out, you've been doing fuck knows what for the last 25 years <laughs> since you left home. But this, what you've done here, well, is astonishing. <laughs> I mean, it beggars belief, if I'm honest. <laughs> I've watched you blossom into the shape that you've assumed. <laughs> You're 42 years old, my son, but like a cheese, a big, fat, round, hairy cheese, boy, have you matured. <laughs> I try to keep in shape myself, you know. A little thing called pride, you might want to try it. You know, I show people photos of us together, and some people are amazed when I tell them, no, you're not my father, I'm your father. <laughs> Funny, eh? I had dreams of being a music star myself, believe it or not. I was considered a looker back in the day, back when I was sweet 16. But then the war came along, and then there was that liaison with the Italian waitress, your mother, during an air raid. And you, you know the rest. (laughs) I can be honest with you, you weren't planned. You definitely weren't part of my plan. But if you think having to raise you robbed me of my late teenage years and put pay to any hopes I might have had of becoming a singer for a big band, well, try not to think about it. I know I try not to. To think that it's you... You who makes it and not me. Well, like I say, I try not to think about it. Congratulations. How did he do it? How did he pull someone like this Rene? No disrespect, son, but what's happened to standards in this country? Old fashioned <laughs> standards. In my day, if an overripe warbler like you came on the stage stinking it up like that, they'd haul you off the stage with a shepherd's crook and kick you down the stairs. Still, good luck to you, son. Not that you need it. Because you, son, with her, number one, are clearly the beneficiary of an insane amount of luck. <laughs> As your father, I just counsel you this, son. This is the beginning of your pop career, but it's also the end. <laughs> Think more Lieutenant Pigeon than Tom Jones, that's all I'm saying. As they say, I hope you were nice to the people you met on the way up because you were meeting them, minus Rene, I should emphasize, on the way down. <laughs> Soon. Yours, your loving father. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> 40, 42. It's such a nice lad, though, Renato. I mean, yeah, publicity I mean, shots. Really, yeah. He always had a mm. pendant of his kids prominently displayed on his manly chest just to just to warn the ladies off. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, fuck you, Noel Edmonds. <laughs> yeah, proved <laughs> yeah. wrong with this. Yeah. Yeah. So, Save Your Love would spend four weeks at number one, giving way to the youthful exuberance of You Can't Hurry Love by Phil Collins <laughs> in the middle of January. 
It went on to sell 950,000 copies in the UK and will finish up as the 12th biggest selling single of 1982. One place above the model by Kraftwerk and one below past the Duchy by Musical Youth. Fucking hell, people bought records like bastards in them days, didn't they? (laughs) The same week that it was deposed from the number one spot, Renee was finally coaxed out of her seclusion for an appearance on Live From Her Majesty's, hosted by Jimmy Tarbuck, to perform Save Your Love and the follow-up single, Just One More Kiss. But that only got to number 48 and no further. After three more flop singles, the most successful of which being Jesus Loves Us All, (laughs) which got to number 100 in December of 1983, the duo split up in 1985. While Lester launched an unsuccessful solo career, Pagliari opened a string of restaurants and enjoyed a career touring the European resort hotel and cruise ship circuit until he passed away in 2009. Oh, man. What a shame he didn't team up with the drummer of the Stone Roses in the 90s. Wait a minute. No, it's not. It's Renato. Congratulations on your success. Thank you. Thank you very much. And how are you going to spend your Christmas? Uh, me and Renee, for a change, we're going to have a night off. Well deserved. Thank you, Renato, for dropping by. I hope you have a happy Christmas. Don't forget our Christmas Day Top of the Pop special, Saturday, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We're going to leave you now with Modern Romance. Have a great weekend. Lots of love. See you soon. immediately whipped back to the studio to find Kid with none other than Santa, who pulls his beard off to reveal none other than Renato. Fucking hell. Wow. Isn't he tiny? <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Kid has to bend right over to get the mic up to his face. <laughs> He's like a festive garden gnome. <laughs> Kid sounds really disappointed by this, but he asks what him and Renee are up to on Christmas Day, and Renato responds, me and Renee for a change are going to have a night off. Mm. A night off from what? (laughs) Dancing? Shagging? From cranking out the greatest records of the age. Yes. (laughs) Santa Renato, though, fucking hell. Mm. What's he doing? Does he creep into your bedroom at night and stroke your pillow (laughs) and cry? I'll tell you what, he obviously spent the first of his royalties on a bit of Grecian 2000, doesn't he? His hair is distinctly darker than it is for uh, yes. some of the shades <laughs> of grey in that uh, video. After shilling the Christmas Day episode, Kid introduces the last song of the night, Best Years of Our Lives by Modern Romance. We've already covered Modern Romance in Chart Music number 42 when they burst upon the national consciousness with Everybody Salsa in the autumn of 1981. And this single is the follow-up to Cherry Pink and Apple Blossom White, which got to number 15 in September of this year. It's a very early league cut from their next LP, Trick of the Light, which comes out in the new year, and is their first single featuring their new lead singer, Michael J. Mullins, who has been promoted up from backing duties in the wake of the departure of Jeff Dean, who fancied a solo career. It entered the top 40 at number 32 five weeks ago, and as Christmas party season kicked into gear, stealthily scaled the chart. 
and thanks to assorted remixes, including a Christmas mix lauded with jingly frostings, has found itself one place up this week from number nine to number eight. And here they are in the studio giving it their special brand of shaking salsa. <laughs> yeah, it's a very mild salsa, mm. isn't it? Mm. Distinctly. Like if you have a Mexican night with a family and you don't want your kids' mouths to get burnt. Mm. How common was this, a band playing over the end? Because it to me it's to me that struck me as odd um, mm. having a band playing yeah. over the closing titles. Normally they it's, ha- it, it's happened from time to time in 1982. Right, I see, I see. Mm. Yeah, I mean this is exactly the sort of band that Michael Hurl wants on the new Top of the Pops, isn't it? Absolutely. I can just imagine him just sort of like get you know like just trying to, if he could you know just assembling everyone else on. It's just like you you know fucking fat bloke with a rose, you with your hand up a duck, you beardy cunt face. This is what we wanted. This is what we want. I had to deal with your fucking eclectic shit all night. You know, yeah, absolutely. It, <laughs> <laughs> Finally, you know, you've got the zoo wankers and the band in absolute sync for the first time mm, all yes. evening. Yeah, I'm sure that, yeah, you'd have been just had modern romance on eight times. It would have been happy with that. Yes. Yeah, they're the perfect Yellow Hurl era band because ultimately a band like this isn't going to pose any problems, you know? Mm. They're, no, they're, they're not going to be odd. They're not going to be weird. They're ultimately an 80s re-rub of a kind of racy type band. Mm. Um, yes. Competent, you know, outfits, competence. So, yeah, absolutely. In a weird way. So much musically going on at this period, but in terms of what we're about to see in 83 and how comfortable things are going to get in a way, um, modern mm. romance of the banter point that way. Yes. yes. We get the standard top of the pops end shot for the Yellow Hurl era, don't we? Loads of loads of massive green and red flags with the top of the pops logo. It's just, why is it it's as if Pop has stormed the Reichstag? <laughs> <laughs> and there are the zoo wankers doing their repetitive pieces. Mm, yeah. Woo! Party! Mm. Yay! Mm. I mean, really, the purpose of having them here, zoo and modern romance, in a sense, is to provide an up party ending. I mean, Rene and Renato are not going to provide that, you know. And no. but ultimately, I feel that modern romance are basically used here to be the backdrop of that massive lettering trailer for the Xmas Day episode. Mm. The big names that come up and. and come up the screen yeah because they throw up a caption for the top of the pops christmas special or in this case the top of the pops christmas party so yeah there's duran duran aircut 100 cliff richard shaking stevens soft cell musical youth bucks fizz dion warwick spandau ballet captain sensible culture club and Dex's Midnight Runners. Oh, that's a, mm. there's a rich confection for Christmas Day, eh? <laughs> Watch your teeth, Nana. <laughs> but that would have provided reassurance to me as a young viewer yeah. that they hadn't completely forgotten that Top of the Pops could actually be good. Yes. You know, so yeah, I would have needed that at the end of this awful episode. Yeah. Mm. Modern Romance. I, I feel it was a big mistake them losing Jeff Dean because he had a moustache. Mm. And if you're attempting salsa, you need some good tashes going on. <laughs> and Michael J. Mullins has been promoted up. Now they look like Bucks Fizz with no women but one bold man. Yeah, mm. yeah. And who really needs that? Mm. Mm. I, I really despise modern romance at the time because I just thought that, like, mm. you know, there's a, again, there's a sort of connection. I mean, even people like Blue Rondo and Turk that you had about this time, there's a sort of vague connection to yeah. a sort of, like, a sort of zoot-suited era of, like, class and a dash of, like, South American influence and guys and dolls or whatever and trying to kind of recapture a certain yeah. sort of, you know, jazzy elegance of the past. But this is just the 
groups like Modern Romance and, yeah, people like Racy in their own way as well. They're just the sort of harvest restaurantification, the agadooification of, like, something that's really, really good. Mm. And, um, yeah, yeah, and it's ultimately, but- yeah, and it's what people want and it's just, um, you know, but there's more to life than a shit party. Yeah. <laughs> Well, early on in the chart rundown, we saw what we could have had maybe at this point. Kid Creole would have been a much better. Yeah, Kid yes. Creole again. Yes. You know, he's got that stuff, yeah. sort of panache and he's got that kind of strong Absolutely. connection. And, and this is, yeah, and this is just the sort of the dilute sort of ignorant version of all of that. We've been given Kid Creole and the cunts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kid Creole and the coca cunts, yeah. <laughs> this is what Top of the Pops wants and this is what Top of the Pops gets mm. at the end of the day. yeah. And these are the no. bastards who won, you know, that's the thing. Everything does tilt them on yes. romance way. Yes. You know, and all of that kind of like sublime activity that you had in this year, from Kid Creole to Scritti to Soft Cell and Simple Minds, and it just all falls drastically by the wayside. Yeah, but I mean with Catch a Fire on earlier and this on now, what a what a great TED talk it's been on the evolution <laughs> of, of South American music. <laughs> you look at this, mm. you just think, no wonder the fucking bouncers at Elton's disco wanted to it's them with an ashtray. <laughs> Fucking hell. I, I'd join in with them. I'd get a few kicks See, in right. on the slide. Mm. So, two weeks later, best years of our lives. Uh, isn't that a depressing title as well? <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay, Fucking now. hell. Two weeks later, best years of our lives jumped four places to number four, its highest position. The follow-up, High Life, got to number eight in March of 1983, and they bagged one more top ten hit that year when they dropped the salsa routine for a more soulful approach, taking Walking in the Rain to number seven in September. But it would be their last shake of the charty maracas, and they split up in 1985. Mullins returned to the back of the stage, making his first post-romance appearance on Wogan in December of 1985 to duet with Joni Mitchell. Then wrote songs for Samantha Fox, provided backing vocals for Cliff Richard on Mistletoe and Wine, and worked with George Harrison for the modern tracks on the LP, The Best of Dark Horse. That aggravate. How um, how does that cunt get to meet Joni Mitchell? Yeah, oh, and sing with her. That is so aggravating. And that pop craze youngsters closes the book on this episode of Top of the Pops. What's on telly afterwards? Well, BBC One kicks on with Wildlife for All Seasons, with Robert Hardy narrating the sights of animals getting up to all sorts throughout the year. Then it's the nine o'clock news, then the final part of the second series of Tenko, and they round off the night with Frank Sinatra in Concert of the Americas from an amphitheatre in the Dominican Republic. BBC Two finally get round to the last episode in the third series of Yes Minister, then it's the much-loved music show Christmas Special, which is just some classical ramble from Goldsmiths College. Then it's God's Frozen People, a documentary about Christianity in Iceland, the news on two, and they finish off with Ralph McTell, Therapeut and the McClaymans in Triple Bill a special concert featuring the best in traditional music and humour, it says in Radio <laughs> Times. Um, and probably not that therapy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to yeah, say, yeah. ITV gets round to 10 minutes of news, then it's straight on to the Kingfisher, the Rex Harrison rom-com made for TV. Then it's Star Parade, and they close down at midnight. 
Channel 4 takes a look at the Pantanal in southwest Brazil, one of the most fertile wetlands in the world in fragile earth. Then it's what the papers say, and they finish off with a three-hour 1969 Chinese movie, A Touch of Zen. Fucking hell, where's the Christmas television? That's it. Festive spirit, my ass. It's only December twenty third, Neil. Come on, no, but you know the only festive spirit we're getting. The only festive spirit we're getting is this episode of Top of the Pops. Yes, Um, and after that, you just want to cancel Christmas, don't you? (laughs) You feel very Cromwellian after this episode. (laughs) (laughs) So, me boys, what are we talking about in the playground tomorrow? If we all broke into the school to meet up on the playground. Yeah, well, in my case, you know, I'd have to sort of you know, not only break into a school, but organise, you know, a kind of reunion of my former schoolmates who were all at various yes. colleges around the country. But yeah, we'd stand there oh. in the middle of the playground in a circle. And I think that we'd kind Spitting. of... Yeah, and we'd pen a stiff letter, I think, to the Director General, you know, about the um, low quality of the particular mm. episode. You know, we'd point out that we understand yeah. that pop is a trade-off between the sublime and the ridiculous, but this mm. was fucking ridiculous. Yeah. A surplus of ridiculous. ridiculous. I mean, uh, yeah, we'd just be talking about how shit Top of the Pops was last night. Um, And then running Mm. away from a mate of mine who in 1982, uh, his dad worked in a ball bearing factory and brought him home a massive ball bearing, (laughs) like it fitted in his palm. Um, incredibly heavy, and um, he used to punch people in the stomach with that in his um, with that in his fist. And he was a horrible Ooh. little cunt. Oh. So yeah, that's what I'd have been doing in the playground, running away from him, moaning about last night's top oh, of the pops. Man, what a <laughs> fucking waste of a massive ball bearing, man! Surely you play rollerball with this it. Is it. It was an awesome ball <laughs> on your bikes. Just imagine the weight out. Do you remember when? Yeah. Um, Maybe this happened to you in chemistry lessons when you'd be handed a jar of mercury, not to drink it, but just to be yeah. dazzled at the weight of it. It was yeah. that heavy. It was amazing. Um, and the little cunt you just used to put it in his palm, ball his fist up and thump people in the stomach. Oh, bad times. Bad times. Mm-hmm. What are we buying on Boxing Day? Hmm. The Maisonettes, Imagination and perhaps at a push Abba. Yeah. Um, imagination, and I think that's about it, really. And what does this episode tell us about December of 1982? Mm. I I, I think it betrays the (laughs) whole bloody spirit of 1982, yeah. I mean, it's semiotically laden, there's no doubt about that, but it's sending out Mm. the wrong kind of... uh, the wrong signals. It's almost... I mean, but then again, you know... For me, the dream of '82 was squashed in 1983. So I suppose, in the a sense, the new gold dream it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was sort of squashed. It was drowned in, like, you know, hair highlighter and, you know, the Howard Jonesification, the Nick Kershawification of 1983. The dream was drowned. Hmm. I'm not sure it tells us a lot about December '82, but it, it delivers a timeless message about Top of the Pops. Yeah. That, you know, Top of the Pops is responsible, I'm sure, for all of us, for some of the most amazing moments, you know. But mm. Top of the Pops giveth, but it can also taketh away. Yes. And this is one of those episodes that just saps half an hour of your time. Mm. Um, yeah. And, you know, this is something that Top of the Pops can do, especially towards Christmas, when yes. its primary thing seems to basically get your tat out, get your Xmas tat out. Mm. And that's, mm. what, that's what this episode's all about, really. Yeah, mm. yeah. To, to me, this reveals the true meaning of Christmas, which is um, fucking hell. People like shit music this time of year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Santa's wiped his cock on our fucking pillow mm. with mm. this one, hasn't he? Mm. Well, it's yeah. 
It's faintly nauseous, which is about right for Christmas. Pop time was very, yes. very precious, as Neil points out, you know, and it was as mm. precious as pocket money. So this is like losing your pocket money down the drain. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, pop craze youngsters, brings us to the end of another episode of Chart Music. All I need to do now is hit you off the usual promotional flange, so I will. Website www.chart-music.co.uk facebook.com slash chart music podcast interact with us on twitter at chart music t-o-t-p check out this episode's video playlist and all the other stuff we throw up at bit.ly slash chart music vids please put a penny in the old man's g-string <laughs> patreon.com slash chart music Merry Christmas, I suppose, Neil Kulkarne. Merry Christmas, Al. Thank God this unwiped arse of a year is over, David Stubbs. Absolutely. Roll on 2021. My name's Al Needham, and how much do I love you pop craze youngsters? This much. As much as that? (laughs) As much as that. (laughs) Chart music. Great. It's an S-Pod thing. The podcast revisiting S-Club 7's insane TV show. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone's binge-watched this. Anyone who's not on drugs. <laughs> Thank you for bringing this into my life. Uh, it was honestly <laughs> truly appalling. Guests help me analyse the show in more detail than anyone ever asked for. It feels weird to me to say the phrase sex object in a show that <laughs> was aimed at six-year-olds. Do you think Do you think there's a, one of the problems with this show is that seven is too much? It's an S-Pod thing from Great Big Owl. We're going to be back with the passage in just a moment. Simon Bates! If you live in Cardiff and you're a movie fan, have a listen. On Sunday, December the 5th, Radio 1 is pleased to be staging a very special charity event in association with the Variety Club of Great Britain. On that date at the ABC Queen Street, Cardiff, I'll be introducing the first ever showing of the sensational movie, E.T., The Extraterrestrial. This unique Sneak Radio 1 preview is being held entirely for charity at 10.30 in the morning at the ABC Queen Street, Cardiff. And tickets are on sale there during normal box office hours from next Saturday, November the 27th. First come, first served, all seats at the one price of £2.50. Some of the other DJs will be introducing showings of E.T. at Manchester, Belfast, Glasgow, Bristol and Birmingham on the same day. So listen out on Radio 1 for details of this first ever UK cinema showing of E.T., the extraterrestrial. That takes place on Sunday morning, December the 5th, and my showing of E.T. is at the ABC Queen Street, Cardiff. Remember, you can book your tickets from this coming Saturday during normal cinema hours. Join us. You are Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.